Today's reading is taken from Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. Declares the Lord, "This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time." Declares the Lord, "I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, 'Know the Lord,' because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest." Declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lexi. If you can,、uh, if you have your Bibles,、uh, keep it open to Jeremiah thirty-one as we go through it, thirty-one,、um, thirty-one through thirty-four. Let's pray that God will speak to us today. Lord, we thank you for your living word that it's alive and active and sharper than two-edged sword. And Lord, we pray now that your word will speak to us, that it will give us a new heart, it will renew our sense of your being with us um, today, um, that it will renew our minds,、uh, that we might desire to know you and live for you more. Lord, we know that these things,、um, the real changes, cannot happen apart from your Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that you would shower down your Spirit and fill us with your Spirit, that we might live differently as your people. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So, this is our second Sunday in Lamkamo School, and I have a quick quiz for you. So, here we go.、Uh, this is a quiz about Lamkam, the、uh, uh, uh, city one.、Um, I wonder if you know th-、uh, this. What's the rough population of city one? Sixteen thousand, seventeen thousand, eighteen thousand, or forty thousand? What do you think? A. Anyone? B, C, C. Yep, C.、Uh, a few hands up. D, forty thousand. Wow, you were yeah, you were very wrong. It's actually <laughs> close to seventeen thousand, according to two thousand two thousand sixteen census.、Um, but it, it sounds like I mean, it, it feels like a very big place. And、um, anyway,、uh, why is this place called City One? Does anybody know? Why is it City One? Well, in town planning, apparently this place is called Shatin Lot One, and so it was one of the first places when they were planning Shatin to build a residential、uh, a community, and so it was called Lot One, and now it's City One. How about this one? True or false?、Uh, City One is the largest private residential estate in Shatin. True. False. True, it is true. You are right. With、uh, 52 blocks of residential buildings、um, around Shatin, it is the biggest residential community in Shatin. But if there is one thing that City One is known for, what is it actually known for? What would you say City One is known for? I mean, wh- why do people come to City One when they come? For the hospital. 
for the hospital, for the Prince of Wales Hospital. It's the teaching uh, uh, hospital for CUHK with the world-renowned t- uh, the, uh, doctors, three of them, um, who, uh, who come to our church. Uh, from all over new territories, people come to City One to be healed because their bodies are breaking down for different reasons. But actually, as we look at the world, we know that it's not just the bodies that are breaking down, right? There's so much wrong with the world. Relationships break down between husband and wife, between fathers and children, parents and children, between employers and employees, between governments and its citizens, between countries. There are wars and rumors of wars. Why? Well, because of us. We're greedy for power. We're, we're, we, we, we have this uh, uh, um, greed for power, money. We're lustful. We're selfish. We're proud. We're easily angered. We hold grudges. Uh, we do all sorts of different things that we know that we're not supposed to do. And the world is looking for an answer. We're, the world looks for remedy. <laughs> the world looks for healing. Where will they find it? Today's passage is one of the highlights of the Old Testament. Some say it's the pinnacle. I mean, some say it's the it's the it's the most important passage in the Old Testament because it's the only place in the Old Testament that mentions the words "new covenant," the new covenant. But it comes in the context of the lowest moments of Israel's history. When they were facing the natural consequences of their sinfulness, the death of their nation, God's judgments that came upon them. And prophet Jeremiah lived through those moments. He witnessed some of the worst possible things that could happen to a nation. He was a witness to the siege, the siege that, uh, that, that drove people to cannibalism, uh, to to just desperate hunger. He saw people uh, being murdered. He saw young men being pillaged and and, and being exiled, forcefully removed from their homes um, to work for an enemy empire, the Babylonians. He saw murder. He saw destruction of the city, but more importantly, he saw the destruction of the temple. He saw how the temple was desecrated and the items of the temple removed from Jerusalem, from the temple. It was a time when there was no hope for Israel. And God tells us why this happened. He says in verse 32, Because they broke my covenant, even though I was a husband to them. I wonder if you can sense Uh, God's heart here, even though I was a husband to them. God and Israel were brought together in a marriage covenant. In a covenant, God made promises to them, and they made promises to God to live as, uh, as God's people. And they committed adultery, is what he was saying. And now, there's no excuse ever for adultery. But some cheating scandals are a bit more surprising than others, um, aren't they? I remember in 1995, I, mean, I was still pretty young, but 1995, I still remember this, when Hugh Grant was arrested for soliciting prostitution. Do you remember this? Hugh Grant was soliciting prostitution. And I, you know, in 1990s, Hugh Grant was the top of his career. He was the heartthrob of Hollywood. Why was, he prosti- why was he soliciting prostitution? It didn't make any sense to me. You know, at the time, he was also married to Elizabeth Hurley. Elizabeth Hurley, 
I mean, honestly, like, I don't want you to think that I'm really like super, all superficial and stuff, but honestly, he was soliciting prostitution. He was committing adultery against her. That is surprising. It didn't make any sense. I just want to, I, I bring this up to make the point that actually adultery against God, going, going to any other uh, than God himself, doesn't make, it didn't make any sense for Israel. God was so good to them. Once again, in verse 32, God tells us what he's done, right? He took them by hand and led them out of Egypt. They were slaves before. They were oppressed before. They didn't have food to eat before. And God, with the might of his power, led them out of Egypt. And, you know, God doesn't have to make any promises to anyone. God is God. He's beholden to no one. And yet, he binds himself in this marriage covenant to Israel and says, and, and said, I will be your God and you will be my people. He led them through the desert, fed them food from angels, led them with a pillar of of clouds and fire, and yet they complained. And they committed adultery, spiritual adultery, uh, in Jeremiah, in other places, it says, with stones and trees, with no gods, with Baal and other gods that they didn't even know. They pursued other gods. It didn't make any sense. But if we read the Bible, actually, we know that this marriage had no chance from the very beginning. Right? Because remember, when this marriage covenant was happening, when Moses was receiving the condition of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, what were the Israelites doing? They made an image of the golden calf and was worshiping it. It's like committing adultery on the very night of your wedding. It had no chance. Throughout the book of Judges, time of the Judges, they were going after other gods. Throughout the the time of the kings, sure, they had ups and downs, but uh, uh, the the kings, their, their kings led them astray. Their prophets led them astray. Their priests led them astray. Every institution in the uh, in Israel led them astray from God. And because they were far away from God, their country was filled with injustice, with lies, with oppression of the poor, the rich, uh, 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 flaunting, immorality uh, of every kind. You just need to read the rest of Jeremiah. And they were now facing their judgment, the natural consequence of their sin, the death of their nation. But as you know, Israel stands for all of us. Because we all know what we are supposed to do and yet we are unable to do them. We do them anyway. We sin against God anyway. Our hearts are prone to wander. As John Calvin says, our hearts are idol factories. We go after one idol to another idol. And because of sin, we have ruined the world. We see it around the world right now. You know, and you think that this generation, this time is bad. Every generation thought like this. You know, 80, 70, 60, or whatever. You go back, every generation, they went, what's wrong with us? Why is the world so messed up? They looked for help, and they looked for help, but there was no hope. There is no hope apart from God. Apart from 
from him doing something new. And this is what Jeremiah 31 is all about. This is why this passage is considered some by some by is the pinnacle of the Old Testament. Because it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. New covenant. God was going to do something new. He was going to open up a new possibility, new possibility of way of being, way of being human beings in this world. A new future, a new hope, life amidst of death. And take a look at the content of this covenant. Verse 33, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. It wasn't that the Old Testament was faulty. What was faulty was the Israelites. They couldn't keep the Old Testament because their hearts were so sinful. And so God was going to do something radical. He says he's going to write those laws that were external. Now write them in our minds and in our hearts. He would allow the Spirit to dwell within us. He would write it in our hearts so that we would be able to obey God's law. We would be able to live differently. We would be able to bring life to the world. Prophet Ezekiel takes the same image and says, this is heart surgery. Do you remember this when we're going through Ezekiel series? I will give you a new heart and I put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, a new life. Heart transplant is promised, and it will beat with God's Spirit. It will beat with righteousness and holiness. And of course, this is all looking forward to the coming of Jesus. In the upper room, the night before Jesus died, his body was broken. He took that, uh, the, the, the cup of wine and said, The cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant, a new covenant in my blood. Because only through his death, his body being broken and his blood being shed, we could be forgiven. We could really be forgiven. Before, animal sacrifices were foreshadowing of what's to come. It didn't actually forgive, but his body was broken. His blood shed and we were forgiven and his blood blood cleansed us. His blood reconciled us back to God so that he could breathe his new spirit and live in us, in our hearts. Friends, we are a new people. And I know that fight against sin is difficult, but we can fight against sin because the spirit lives in us. Christ lives in us. We don't have to give in to sin. We can be patient. We can forgive. We can love. We can be kind. We can be different because God's Spirit lives in us. And it's important that Christians who have the Spirit take that Spirit seriously and walk in step with the Spirit because the world needs us to live differently. Because they have no hope out there on their own. They need to be able to see that there is a different kind of humanity in the world through us, through how we live. We are the hope for the world. What are we doing here in City One? Why have we moved? It's not because of 
Uh, it's, I mean, it's partly because of it, but it's not mainly because of the, the better transportation or because it's easier to find. It's because there is an English-speaking community here uh, that are, that's, that's lost, that needs this hope of the gospel. We've come to give the people around us the news that they desperately need, that there is a new covenant, a new hope, a new life through Jesus, a new possibility that has opened up because of Jesus. Friends, a church is not a social club. It's not a place, I mean, it's a place that you come for transformation, real transformation of life. Not just for this life, but for eternity. So will you, once again, if you are a Christian, look back and go, you have the Spirit and you commit to walking with the Spirit. Commit today to fight against sin, to live differently. You know, we have a few medical students here. Medical students take their studies really seriously. We have some doctors here. They take their practice really seriously because life and death is at stake. Friends, how we live now, whether we can give people the hope to the world out there or people come and look at us and interact with us and go, well, those are no different. Eternal life is at stake. Life and death for eternity is at stake. That's what we're doing here. That's what the church is. That's what we are. You might ask, well, how, how do we, why, why is this so different? How can we uh, live differently? Well, I, part of the answer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us and we can live differently. He enables us to, but there's more to this promise. We become a people who know God. Verse 34, No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Remember how God appeared uh, to people in the Old Testament. God appeared to Abraham and Moses and through burning bush or through uh, angel of the Lord or uh, through some, some awesome um, appearance. And they always, God always appeared through the representatives, right? The normal people, they had to be represented by the priests, the intermediaries. And even the priests didn't actually set their foot in the Holy of Holies about once a year, the chief priest, once a year. The normal people had no access to God. But in this new covenant, God says, every one of us, Every one of us who comes to Jesus Christ will know God personally and intimately. And I know that we say this a lot, uh, you know, to know in the Old Testament is to know how a, 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 how a husband uh, and wife knows one another. It's that sort of level of intimacy. That's how God would know us or we would know God. How do you know that if you're a Christian... Well, do you know God personally? That's one of the first questions that you should ask. Do you know God personally? Does, do you sense that there is difference in you? There's the Holy Spirit living in you, prompting you to live differently. The God's law burning in your heart. Is that how you feel? Do you live in relationship with Him in everything that you do? You know, when a person knows God, it's not like knowing me. Knowing me might not change you at all, but knowing God should change you completely because he's God. 
right? Knowing God should change you. You live your life completely in light of your relationship with Him. A few years back, I was talking to a young man who told me that he thought that Christianity was all about guilt tripping. You know, we talk about how Jesus died for you, and, you know, so therefore you shouldn't sin. Therefore, you should, you should live differently. It's all about, you know, making you feel guilty so that you live differently. Well, I think, man, at the heart of it, this young man didn't have a personal relationship with God. He didn't really know God. It was, the law was external. God was external. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit was just somebody outside. He didn't have this internal desire to live differently because he didn't have a relationship with God. Friends, if grace is a burden that you carry around, I don't think you know God. If you knew God, you would be motivated by knowing him, his beauty, his holiness, how much he loves you. Because of, out of the outflow of that relationship, you want to live differently. That's what having that law written in our hearts mean. Why did you come to church? It's always a good question to ask. What, what, why did you come to church today? Out of duty? Out of sense of, you know, this is a good thing to do for me or for my children? Or is it because you know God and you want to know Him deeper? Because you want to grow in your relationship with Him. Because you want to please Him. Because there is this inward compulsion towards Him and towards one another. I fear that Shatin Church is often driven by our head. And I include myself in this. I'm so duty-bound. I should do this <laughs> kind of thing all the time in my mind. But unfortunately, sometimes not this inward desire. It's not our, our rela- the things that we do is not coming from the inward sort of outflow of this relationship with God. But as if the law is still out there, external from us. I fear that we lack this relationship that drives us to our knees. Uh, this relationship that drives us to read the Bible. Right to hear from him, to see what he wants uh, today, you know, as we read in our life. To grow in holiness, not out of legalism, but out of love for God. Is that what drives you? Do you know God? But I also want to highlight here that it's not just individual relationship, because, you know, this passage isn't written to 21st century expressive individualists. Israelites saw themselves as part of the community first. And this Jeremiah, the book, is addressed to that community, to the nation of Israel. And this is addressed to all of us. When Jeremiah writes, least to greatest, he means every part of the Israelites' nation, community. And it's addressed to all of us as a church. Knowing God shouldn't just mean that I do things by myself in my bedroom and I just download sermons or something into my head. No. God has created a new community from least to the greatest. Every part of our church, right? Everything that we do is shaped by God's holiness and knowing God. That's what this means. That we do our life individually, holiness, but also we do, it drives us to one another to grow as a church together. 
I hope that too is why you've came to church today. You've come to church today to get to know others, to encourage others, to see how your gifts, uh, that the the time and energy that you have can be of service to others in helping them to grow in their relationship with Jesus, to teach and to be taught by others, to grow, to reflect God's character as a community together. I hope that's why you've come But here, Jeremiah does highlight one characteristic, one defining characteristic of knowing God. In verse 34, the end of it, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Take a look at that again. They will know me, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Knowing God means knowing his forgiveness. Knowing God means knowing his grace. Knowing God means knowing his unconditional love for you. That's what knowing God means. That's, that's, the, that's a defining characteristic of knowing God. And that's the incredible thing between the old covenant and the new covenant. In the Old Covenant, it was two ways, right? If you do this, I will do this. If you break the covenant, this will happen. That's the Old Covenant. This covenant, five times in the passage that we just read, it's all about what God will do. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Forget your wickedness and forgive your wickedness. Remember your sins no more. And God obviously allowed to, uh, was able to do this through Jesus. Church, do you know God's forgiveness personally? Have you had moments in your life where the Spirit convicted you of your sinfulness? And you felt, you felt well, I am a worm, as the psalmist says. I'm a worm. I am wicked. I do I deserve God's judgment. I deserve God's hell, his, his, his death. But then you realize that that's not how you're treated. You're treated like a son, like a daughter who's beloved, who, uh, who, whom God is... Uh, 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 you are now with God and loved by God and that grace covers you. And you realize, actually, you're not just, uh, tr- not, not, not only is God with you, but he's promised this inheritance, inheritance that can never fade. He's got this enormous gift for you, waiting for you. And you're struck by God's amazing grace. Church, that's what it means to know God. And if you haven't had that experience, you're probably not a Christian. <laughs> If you haven't had that experience of God's love, you probably don't yet know God. So could I invite you today to come to God? Plea to him and ask him, come, I want to know you more. I want to know you. I want to uh, have your spirit in my heart. Because that's how knowing God starts. And that's how the transformation of life starts when we realize how much we're loved and forgiven through Jesus Christ. 
And if you want to know more about this, we will have Christianity Explored um, starting again in August. Do sign up for that and do ask about it. A few weeks back, a church member came to me with a dream that she had. She dreamt of a hospital, of hospital uh, full of sick people. But then she was so frustrated because all these sick people were waiting for just surgery, <laughs> a life-changing surgery. But some actually felt like there's nothing wrong. They were kind of, they made the hospital their home. Some were even just dying in the hospital without having had this surgery. And when she was talking to me, I actually thought of this community, City One, a community that's known for its hospital, a community that heals, right? All these people waiting for this life-transforming surgery. We have the good news. We have the news of this free heart surgery. We We must go out and tell of this good news. We must take our task and mission seriously as a result. But equally... The dream might be about us, Shatin Church. For all of us who come and go week by week, not knowing God personally, not having met Him, not knowing His amazing grace, where the law is still external and not internal. If that strikes a chord, once again, look to Him. He does not turn away anyone who comes to him. Plead with him. And may that be the inward transformation that we all need that drives us towards holiness and love and grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the amazing grace that we have received Lord, we pray that this will be not something that we know in our heads, but Lord, we pray that this will be something that we know in the deepest core of our being, in the deepest uh, decision-making centers of our lives. Lord, that we might want to live for you, that we might want to grow in you, that we might long for that intimacy with you more and more. Lord, we know that even as we cry out to you, this cannot happen unless your spirit comes to us and meets us. And so, Lord, we look to you today to come and meet us. Come and revive us, not just for our sake, but for the watching world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.